There's a story you should know from a hundred years ago, and a hundred years we've waited now to tell. Now the Yankees come along, and they'll listen to this song, and they'll quake in fear to hear this rebel yell. And they'll quake in fear to hear this rebel yell. Yeah! Oh, the South's gonna rise again. And welcome to The Deep End. I am your host, Halen Pittman. Now for starters, here on The Deep End, we like to give voice and review to art and media, maybe too obscure, obscene, or just too weird to show up on regular folks' radar. Not that we don't appreciate The Walking Dead or high fantasy slash were-creature family drama romance, but there's enough love out there for that already. We're here for the stories of maniacs, mutants, killers, and creepers that I feel deserve a little limelight or as much as a fellow in an underlit garage can muster. Because, of course, we are in a garage, not in the dark, deep basements that some people in this wonderful nation might inhabit, because we're in the South, and we don't do basements very much here. And I like to give love, if I can, to my Southern roots. And that's, in fact, what this is about today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the deep end. Beautiful Williamston, South Carolina, yeah. and my guest today is Trey Ellison. How are you, sir? I'm doing. I'm doing quite well. How are you? And uh, and to talk about the basic form of this, to to give this formless mass some type of structure, you can think of uh, the first part of the deep end as something like a show and tell product, uh, where I invite people in my life to bring forth things that they consider underrated or things that catch their heart in the right way that they don't feel gets enough play, frankly. And uh, I was glad enough and happy enough to bring in my buddy Trey. And he's here to talk about Jason Latour and Jason Aaron, the writer. The Jasons. Yes, Yes. the Jasons. Jason Latour as artist, Jason Aaron as the writer, Southern Bastards. And also, may talk about the second part of of The Deep End, where we also watch a movie which I think is topically related to this and uh, we'll be watching tonight with the uh, the H.G. Lewis classic, if if you feel it's a classic, 1964's 2000 Maniacs. Southern Bastards is a comic put out by Image. It's made by the Jasons, as you mentioned, Latour and Aaron. Uh, they both work on the comic, well, separately. Two different volumes of the comic Wolverine and the X-Men, which is where I best know them. Although I think once this po- comic gains some popularity, people will think of them as the Southern Bastards guys. Uh, and this comic really grabs me because it is, uh, it's about this place I live, this complicated, weird place that I live. The very first page of the comic is a splash, and it shows, uh, it's a highway scene, you're looking down a highway, and you see three things primarily, uh, a church, three church signs, one of which warns you're going to hell, some discarded beer cans, and a dog crapping, <laughs> which... Is just no matter where you go in the South, that's what you see. That's that's what's on the side of the road. It's it's who we are, Halen. We can't run from it. Uh, but that's the charm of the comic is how deeply Southern it is. Uh, it's not like Squidbillies, which is sort of an absurd, over-the-top mockery of the South. Maybe homage to the South. Uh, it's it's a lot more grounded. If you're not familiar with the South and you're reading Southern Bastards, you probably think. It can't be this way, but it is, uh, and it's that flavor that I love. Tell me a little bit, a little bit more about as far as the the basic plot of the book. The plot, as this fellow known as Earl Tubb, comes back to his home county of Crawl, Alabama, 
he's been living just outside Birmingham, which they the folks in the book consider to be the big city. You know, you'd think he'd been in New York, but no, he's been in the uh, presumably suburbs of Birmingham. Uh, he comes back to close down this house that his uncle, I believe, had been living in. Uh, his uncle's dying and all this. And he comes back to find a town worse than ever. Uh, he And it's dealing with the legacy of his father, who's had this huge impact on the town as a sheriff. Uh, there's scenes of artistic violence. It's not gratuitous. It's appropriate. Are we speaking the, about like, like Tarantino style, like putting like a kind of artistic bend on the violence? Latour puts the way he uses panels. He's, he's mixing these two different scenes together, and you see the you, you understand that there's something greatly violent happening. You're not seeing Walking Dead-like violence where heads are exploding and arms are coming off and sort of a turn-off for me in a lot of comics. So I was glad to see it depicted. It's honest. It's honest violence, but it's not over the top. It's not zany violence. Okay. Uh, but we see this flashback to his father in this greatly violent scene, and you get the feeling that there's some important legacy there. There's some symbolism that should be obvious to the astute reader. So he sets up, he comes back to town, and he finds that there's a some strange criminal umbrella that involves the head coach of the local football team, the high school football team. And this, which, is, Al- this is Alabama, right? Uh, which, yes, of course it's the high school football <laughs> okay. team. What isn't the high right, school football right, right. team in, in, in the South? That you got to have something to have pride in, man. you got to have pride. you got to have ritual. SEC football, SEC football. SEC football. <laughs> there, there's a wonderful tall. book called Red Hills and Cotton. It was written by a uh, a guy who was really good friends with Edgar Murrow, mm-hmm. the 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 newscaster. Right. Um, the the man uh, he he's he was from Seneca and he you know, grew up all his life here. Um, he grew up in the 20s and 30s. He died in I believe at the end of World War II or early in the, early in the maybe at the early beginning of the Korean War. I can't remember exactly. He died in a plane crash, but he writes a really good narrative. As far as like you know, what was an upstate South Carolinian's kind of position in life, you know, in that in that you know twenty thirty? Because he talks about you know this is the first time his generation is trying to get up and do more. He's not just oh we lost oh we lost the great wonderful everything that was is gone. There's a, you know his his generation he's thinking that's stupid. We're all still here alive. Well, let's keep makes. Let's make something. Let's do something and stop living a dream. And unfortunately, that's not happening in Crawl, in a, <coughs> Crawl County, Alabama. The the army that this, this, these southern towns still got is their football army. Right. There's a little bit more going on in issue one, but we'll leave some of that fun. Okay. Because uh, it, the substance. The flavor we've kind of touched, and you'll see, but some and, of the fun and, and, and issue one's actually the only one I've read so far. And, and tell me if it's, if, it's, if it's a little bit off. Um, uh, Tubb himself was a high school football star in this yes, town. Yes, yes, he was. So he's kind of so he's, as he comes in, he's kind of like everyone's slapping his back, and they're like, "Oh, Earl's yeah. back into yeah. town." And then you know, kind of people kind of realize, you know, through whatever this uh, this as you called an umbrella, uh, new criminal enterprise. Uh, you know, it's like, well, Earl, like, welcome back. Time to get the hell out. Yeah, there's, you know? there's a, there's a character. Uh, his name's Dusty, who actually, in the same conversation, he says, "Well, Earl's good to see you. Get on going now." Yeah. Which <laughs> uh, is a uniquely southern sort of. Well, because I, I get this idea of of a, of a criminal enterprise from Jason Aaron, because the main thing that I've read from him is uh, Scout. Mm. 
I've only read the first two trades, but it's, it's a Native American man who, in his youth, leaves the reservation because there's nothing there for him, and uh, comes back years years later in what they assume is like a dejected and angry at the world thing. So the local crime boss, who effectively runs the reservation, can kind of like recruit him. Uh, through through the story, you find out he's actually a, 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 an agent from the federal government, because since it's a reservation, they can't do anything to this guy who you know his 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 you know lackeys will run out and you know commit crimes and do whatever, then run back to the reservation where they have no thing. Well, this guy, as a member of the nation, as a federal agent, goes in to try to take this guy down, um, which leads to a lot of bloodshed. It's a very it's, as far as I've read, it's a very violent comic. Uh, that sounds thematically that's unified with this because you've got the insider outsider who has escaped to some degree, uh, which is that's a real life thing that happens here in the South as well. But yeah, that sounds like Jason Aaron's maybe working out some issues. We see something in the South that I hate. We see a lot of things in the South that I hate, but I want to talk about this one in particular. You see young progressive intelligent people and they can't wait to get out of here and they leave some of them come back when they're older but those vigorous youthful passionate years where they could be changing the south making something new not even changing the south bringing out what it could be is lost True. We, we we lose so much of that uh jason aaron in in, in his back of issue one uh, did you did you happen to read the about the creator's page, I, I don't, I don't, don't remember if I did, man. It's, it's, it's <laughs> been, you know, it's been like two months or so since I read the. Read yeah, yeah. It, it, Jason Aaron, there's a page in the back of issue one where Latour and Aaron, in, in prose rather than the comic, and he says, "I love the South. The South scares the living shit out of me." Jason Latour talks about is these people, the assholes you think Southerners are, and the assholes we're afraid we might be. Good sound bite, that one. <laughs> Jefferson was describing all Southerners, and I'd like to thank David Blight for bringing this to my attention in one of his lectures that I heard. Uh, but he, Jefferson says the Southerners are indolent, unsteady, independent, zealous of their own liberties, but trampling on those of others. And I did my best David Blight impression, which I think will be lost on almost everyone. But, uh he was describing all Southerners. I think it's a pretty good description for the Southern Bastard. Almost every character in Southern Bastards. I mean, it's so appropriately named, right? Do you think the South is a troubled place, Halen? Um, the, the humanity is a troubled place. Um, I, I think we all kind of have our hang-ups. I think the South, there is a, a, a tendency to deify the status quo mm -hmm. or to, to think what was lost was better better even if it may not really be there um, because arguably sometimes what was lost was better but not for everybody and that's that's you know one of the great one of the great one of the great you know sins of the south is you know, yeah things might have been better for some people at certain periods of time but they were not better for everybody so that doesn't necessarily and and I think that the the it's a it's a tendency to not to want to change um, you know that that you know that this is the status quo. What is deviation from the status quo just ain't right. I, I I agree to a certain extent, but I'm tempted to believe, quite tempted, to believe that we are not just attached to the status quo because of 
power dynamics and all that. But because changing would require us to acknowledge the original sin of the South, we in the South, the Southern bastards, mm-hmm. we anchor ourselves. And that we, is true. We, we, maybe we would change. As a matter of fact, I think we would. I'm sure we would. But we anchor ourselves to this past, and we don't let things that come in change us. Uh, how far from here do you think you have to go to find a Confederate memorial statue? Probably not far. Um, well, uh, there is the, there's the marker um, that is right in front of our park that's you know about five miles away from where we are in Williamson, South Carolina, that uh, has one of the last skirmishes of the Civil War because there was a troop from the Citadel heading back after the 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 defeat of the south after you know the the the, the surrender um they were heading back and they met some other division and there's like a little skirmish over here um interestingly speaking about the uh the graveyard where my grandparents are or great grandparents are buried the old williamston graveyard there are confederate veterans there um uh, buried in the same graveyard who still have their medals on their graves that no one has touched They've let the ribbons rot away, but the metals where they fell are still left there, exactly on the grade where it rotted away. No one ever messes with them. No one ever touches them. Who these southern bastards really are, are the people who think that they are besieged by the present. That the South is some last bastion of a glorious way that things never really were. And, and this then this is what conceptually to the comic book you think what well, something about what Aaron's trying to say or is just your own twist on the idea. This is yeah, maybe he is trying to say it. <laughs> Time will tell. But I'm I'm saying it. I'm saying it is that the Southern bastards, the Southern bastards, the real life Southern bastards, the ones we encounter every day, are those those people who feel besieged by the present that believe that the sacrifices and flaws of the past are worth it to maintain some impossible idea of a glorious golden age or uh, probably more accurately white age. And what they need to know is that they can build their walls and they can man them with an army trying to keep all this progress and change out. But they they will fail, because the people who are going to change and take away their delusions, take away the injustice, the people who are going to fight for progress, were born inside those walls. And what I really hope is that more of us will stay in in those walls until we can tear them down from the inside. Because I see so many people my age going, I can't wait to get out of here. And in some cases, people who have already gotten out of here. And my plea for especially young Southern people who look around and go, do I belong? My plea is that you consider the fact that you absolutely belong. If everybody who has a better vision for the future leaves, it only leaves the terrible meld of the past and the present that these Southern bastards are so attached to. So please, Halen, will you stay here with me? I, I was lucky enough to find uh, another person who, can, can, in general, believes what I believe. And, you know, we're, we're uh, as Garth Ennis uh, most eloquently put, son, you've got to be one of the good ones because there's way too many of the bad. You know, I wanna, I want, the reason that I chose to have children 
It wasn't some type of, oh, it's, uh, I'm, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get married and have kids and do what you do. I wanted to take the lessons that I've learned and to the best of my ability, pass that on and have my child be a good thing. To, to, to do that old, that, that, that old cliche of, you know, live a life so that when you enter it, the world rejoices and you cry. And when you leave it, you know, the world cries and you rejoice. Jesus, what a hopeful note. That's, that's, that, that's what I try. That's, that, yeah, that's, that's what I hope for life. Man. How could this possibly end better? <laughs> All right. Good Lord. Let's watch 2000 Maniacs. Yeah, let's. So what you think about it, Trey? I'm I'm surprised you didn't use the word classic in there because it uh, was. People consider people do consider it the the if if one considers Herschel Gordon Lewis a master artist, people well, there are people who consider 2000 Maniacs his masterpiece. If they don't include include like the Wizard of Gore or the Gore Gore Girls, some people might remember um, his films from Juno. Uh, they were, those were the, those were some of the films that, that those were also Horace Gordon Lewis. There, they talk about the, the horror films in there. That they remember from there. But uh, if, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, loosely based on the idea of Brigadoon, the uh, the musical from I believe forty seven, nineteen forty seven, uh, about a Scottish Highland town that only appears once a year, once every hundred years, and like a guy falls in love with a lady there or something. Then they sing songs and it's a musical. Of course, in this. Uh, it takes place where a town that was massacred at the end of the Civil War in the South comes back every 100 years to find people from the North and murder them, murder them in horrific ways, uh, such as you know, making someone ride in a barrel after you drive nails hold through now, Hold it. on now. Right. Let him let discover the gore. Okay. Let him right. discover the wonderful gore. Yeah. Because I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I do not dig gore. Horror, I dig like that northeastern, uh, what Lovecraft called what the like, frostborn <laughs> horror, uh, but not you know not the supernatural just, uh, yeah. horror of the weird. Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm not a big guy into stuff like this, but this film did what it did really, really well, yeah. and it's a it's a story about human suffering that happens to feature some really intense, acute human suffering using. Which, which I was I pointed out to Trey and I was happy even the ghosts as they which you don't find out they're ghosts but no uh, worries uh, yeah now, we're, we're doing some spoilers spoiler alert whatever it's a movie that came out in 64 <laughs> that you know they're uh, even even causing pain and mayhem and death to these people don't give them peace and release uh, there, there's a few characters which I like to refer to almost as like the devils of these creatures natures who like to you know stoke the fires of, of hatred and and pain, and these people, of course, originally they're, they're all lured to the town. They're all told they're going to be celebrants. You know, that you're the guests of honor at our hundred year centennial. You're the guest of honor. We'd love to have you. And they, they is, treat them really is the nice. The victims, yeah. he means, not not the, oh, the no, townspeople yes, have been there the, for yeah, the townspeople, a hot minute. Townspeople never left. Yeah, because the story goes, like I said, that, that the Union troops uh, massacred the town, and now you know, hundred years later, their ghosts come back to find anyone they can from. Which uh, I believe the land of Lincoln is the the license plate of one of them, which I believe is Illinois. You'd think they'd pick something like "Let's get Pennsylvania and New York, or let's get some of those folks from Connecticut or Vermont." But no, 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 they get they get Illinois folk. Arguably, our main character, a lady coming down to from a te- to a teachers' convention <laughs> in Atlanta, that somehow ends up in Florida. 
I don't think there's any direct route from Illinois to Atlanta where you end up having Spanish moss on the trees. Yeah, I know, and uh, marshland. I don't think going through Tennessee is a whole lot of marshland. Maybe, I don't know. The famous Tennessee marshes. Yes. Uh, If you watch it and you're looking for something to have some meaning, it can affect you. It can affect you. But if you're looking at this film... It's got some substance to it. It's definitely got real sub- subtext there about you know the the futility of revenge, and uh, you know about how these even as these ghosts put out the, the pain and the murder that they experience themselves, you know it brings no release. Halen was I think you were getting to it. I don't I don't think you actually got to it, but the watch their faces once they're done with the torture. I guess we could say right. watch the townspeople's faces. Uh, you pointed out to me, I didn't really notice, uh, one of the demon yokel figures. And these just look like bumpkins, basically. Yeah, don't they, don't they, picture they, uh, demons, but that's what they are. But forces everybody to sing Dixie and forces them to pretend to be all excited about it after one of them when they're all looking all despondent. So that's why I, I kind of like to think of you know, these creatures that goad the, the people of the town of Pleasant Valley, as it's known, uh, on in their dark, bloody celebrations. They're kind of melancholy about it, but these creatures kind of keep goading them on, like, yeah, it's time for the celebration. <laughs> yeah. It's almost Shakespearean. I'm going to go ahead and call it a Shakespearean film. Definitely fair. And I would say, uh, would, could we call these devil creatures, as I refer to them, as uh, southern bastards? Yeah. Because they don't want anything to change. I wanted to say from the get-go that the townspeople were southern bastards, but they were southern... Victims. Yeah, a, I mean they're all they're almost victims. It's, in there, yeah. it's hard to pity Confederates, and I often don't, almost never. But uh, yeah, I will say yes. The the demons, the yokels, are southern bastards. Yeah, they want to exploit and harm other people for the sake of this memory of something that, frankly, I'm not even sure. I noticed there's a monument, very small monument that informs you of the town's massacre. And it's phrased unlike any southern monument will be phrased. It talks about the massacre of the people and the slaughter and all this, but it doesn't talk about the brave defiance that you... It doesn't glorify these victims in the way that southern monuments glorify Confederate soldiers and victims of the war. The glorification through monuments is one of the most important things in our memory of the Civil War now. I mean, if you want to talk about why we remember the Civil War the way they do, you you go back to uh, Daughters of the Confederacy and their memorial movement. I, I remember being 12 years old and taking that trip down to Charleston and seeing Fort Sumter. It's like a hodge almost, you know, to the memory. Here it's a, so you're a good southern boy. It's time to go learn your history. Oh, yeah. They learn... Uh, Incorrect history, mind. It's run by the National Park Services now, so I mean, whatever they tell you is that they approved version of history. Actually, let's go. This was a great film. Let's Thank talk you. about that. Yeah, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I, I changed it up at the last minute because I thought it would be more appropriate. I mean, I'd never heard of this movie ever. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, man. I mean, this is this is a large part of what I hope to do with this podcast. You chose, I think, chose well. You took a comic book that laid something of a point about hmm. Southern American character, and you know, I'm glad you got to say your piece on it. I'm I'm very thankful for you for sharing this this with me. I think there's there's a young man named Billy, mm-hmm. a, a very young man. I'd say he's eight. Uh, I think he's the only child we see at any point. Mm, pretty much. Yeah. And what do you make of the fact that at one point these these Yankee folk 
have a chance to save this child. We won't worry about the fact that he's like a ghost and who knows what or, you could actually do. Or that do. the first time we meet him in the opening credits, he's hanging a cat with a noose. But they have a chance to save him from his barbaric... And they're just like, uh-uh. And for really no reason. I mean, they just decide all of a sudden, well, I'm Bill, not into this. Well, and Billy is their reason for escape. The two survivors trick Billy into showing them where their car is to run away by telling him there's candy in the car and they're going to give it to yeah. him. I, I wonder, it, it, was it a comment on the election of 76? 76? Well, this is, this is 64. Is the, no, no, no. I'm talking about the, the 18, 1876. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, where the where the Nor- Northern Republicans abandon the South to its Democrats, to its Redeemers. Redeemers is the term people use for the Democrats who were elected right as Reconstruction ended. I don't personally view them as Redeemers. That's an important point. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is but a, it's a is, historical is, term. Is it a strange and out-of-place historical symbol right at the end of the movie? Probably <laughs> not, but it could be. Yeah. Where would you get this movie, Haley? I uh, something weird video. If you if you have a chance to to check it out, two of the best producers of of these forgotten and obscured underground films, definitely something weird video and Blue Underground. Both of those companies keep a lot of things alive, a lot of what would be forgotten. Um, but if you look at any H. Uh, G. Lewis is definitely a name among gore hounds, and uh, in the history of American horror film. So uh, it, it's not hard to find 2,000 Maniacs. It was actually remade uh, a few years back. I believe it was called 2001 Maniacs. It was. With, uh, with Robert Unlin being the mayor, uh, most famous for being Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um, he plays the mayor. And not as well received because a lot of people think it, for its time, having all the yokels and the, it's, it's less insensitive than to remake something now. Where you're like, Here, all the, here's all these caricatures of, of, of Southern people, you know, murdering the Yankees. Yeah. yeah, that was. I was impressed with the way it was handled. This movie makes something that should be so cut and dry, backwoods, ignorant Southerners, incredibly complex and compelling. Yeah. And it shows that there are two sides to it. And, and a lot of people believe that, that uh, this is the beginning of a chain that extends 10 years where you make a, a direct line from 1964 with. 2000 Maniacs to 1974 with Texas Chainsaw Massacre of outsiders being lost in the South and falling to the darkness and Southern Gothic nature of, uh, of, our, of our history and the, the pain and murder that exists in some parts it's, of our story. It's almost sort of like this comic I know about called Southern Bastards. It's all called where, Southern where, Bastards. Where yeah. a sort of outsider is, gets caught up in some violence of a town, to, of a town turned in on itself for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, but uh, but so you do recommend uh, Jason Latour's and Jason Aaron's Southern Bastards? Oh, heartily. And uh, issue three will be coming out June twenty fourth. June twenty fourth. That's correct. Uh, you might have to. I, I'm pretty sure it's available on Comicsology, which is a, a digital uh, comic site. You might have you might have to turn to something like Amazon or get a back ordered second edition or something. Also, don't be don't be afraid to check out your local brick and mortar. Don't be afraid to. Simply for the fact that I enjoy supporting local economy if possible. Definitely, definitely. Um, but also, check out Jason Latour. will be at Heroes Con June 20th through 22nd, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's very affordable. It's Southern. It's comics. Clearly, I like it. Go check it out. Well, Trey, I, I appreciate it here, man. And it's, uh, it's been good talking to you on this inaugural version of The Deep End. 
Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I am Halen Pittman. Have a good night.